0: Great to see you all here at the 2.30. You enjoying yourself so far? Great stuff. Well, it's, good to be, it's good to be together. And it's also good to be back to, of course, continue our series on walking in integrity. And, of course, I, I trust that all of us are being encouraged in this topic, and not just being encouraged, but being challenged as we look at walking in integrity, and we've sought to cover quite a number of topics where integrity must be shown in our life. For some of these have been in work, integrity in work, in our relationships, uh, church life, uh, our homes, uh, and so relationships and making decisions, all these areas that of course are really important to us. And uh, we've seen how integrity is a Bible word. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, integrity is a Bible word. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. And it's encouraging, of course, more than anything else, to know that our God is full of integrity. Amen. Our God is the one who who keeps his word. He is completely pure. He is completely holy. He is righteous in all of his ways. Amen. He is trustworthy. He is dependable. Man may fail. Man may slip up. But God never fails. He never changes. He is blameless all the time. And throughout the Bible, you will find words like honesty and purity and blameless, truthful, upright, and complete. And all these words are associated with integrity. And so this means if we are determined, if we are committed to living these lives of integrity, it will mean spending time in the Scriptures with God. It will mean reading the Bible. It will mean meditating upon it. It will mean studying it, but also, of course, applying it so that we can actually live these lives of integrity. Because the Bible is our standard for living, isn't it? The Bible is our standard. It's not necessarily the the media or the social media or the newspapers or the media that's out there or or any kind of magazines or politicians. The Bible is our manual for life. The Bible is our manual for direction. Last month I I spoke on integrity in, in church life and how If you really want to be a man or woman of integrity, and if you claim to be a follower of God, there's a scripture hidden in 1 John that says this, you must walk as Jesus did. Small verse, but very powerful. You must walk as Jesus did. Jesus said this. He said, what I say and what I do testify to who I am. What I say and what I do testify to who I am. Jesus was saying, you can measure me by what I say and what I do. And so his integrity, in other words, was proven by his words and his deeds, showing that today. A person of integrity today is proven by their words and is proven by their deeds. And so you practice, of course, what you say. Uh, An author called John Maxwell put it like this. He said, you play like you practice. You play like you practice. But today, we're going a little bit deeper in our series of walking in integrity we're looking today at the topic of integrity of the heart and so we're going to talk today about what the bible talks about your heart and when the bible uses this word of course it's not necessarily talking about that vital organ uh, muscle in your chest that of course is only about the size of your fist which pumps blood all around the body we know that's of course important we need that to keep on ticking over for as long as possible but in the bible the heart meant the seat of your personality. It means your affections, your emotions, your desires. means your will, your motives. And so today the heart means the center of the personality. It is the center of a person's being and personality. And so your heart is talking about what's really deep inside of you. What makes you who you are? That's what the heart means in the Bible. And the amazing truth is today is that the great God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who created the great galaxies and the seas and the planets, and all of the universe is a God who knows your heart. Scripture says he knows the hearts of all men. In other words, he's interested in your heart. He's interested in what's going on in your heart even now. The Bible even goes further than that. It says that he loves you with all of his heart. Isn't that good news? Tell someone next to you, God loves you. Amen. Maybe you haven't thought of it like this before, but it says in the book of Isaiah that um, that God has a heart, and God's heart burns for His people. He burns for humanity. Now, the word heart comes up in the Bible around about uh, 600 times. The Bible uses phrases like a a broken heart, a, a clean heart, a faithful heart, a, an evil heart, a good heart, a hard heart, a new heart. A proud heart, a, a pure heart, and also a willing heart, showing that God is concerned and He is interested about the heart. I'd like you to turn with me to our first point of reference, Proverbs 4.23. Come with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 4.23. We're going to look at this as one of two verses today to spend some time on, Proverbs Proverbs 4.23. And it says this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the wellspring of life. Uh, Another version says, for out of it are the outgoings of life. And different translations talk about watch over or guard, uh, uh, but it's the idea of protecting. It's the idea of guarding, about caring for your heart. Now see in verse 1, go to, to, to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, and have a look at what it says there. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And so a father is saying to his son, what's really important in life, son, is to keep your heart with all diligence. For from it flows the springs of life. And so it literally means, if you look at it in a bit more research, it means more than all guarding, more than all protecting, keep your heart. So what do you guard or what do you protect? I guess many of you, uh, as you were getting ready for you today, before you were getting ready to go out, you you locked your car because, of course, you didn't want somebody to steal it. The scripture says, above all else, more than you protect your car, protect your heart. Likewise, I'm sure you probably locked your house or your apartment. Well, I hope you did when you left this morning. But more than that, it's saying protect your heart. Or if you have family and you have children, you want to protect your children. This verse is really saying more than your job, your health, church meetings, your car and, uh, and house maintenance, more than exercise, everything, make this thing the most important thing of all. Take care of your heart, guard it, watch over it. It's saying don't neglect taking care of your heart, This was what this proverb is saying. And so if the Bible is telling us to guard something, it usually means or surely means that there's something worthwhile to protect. There's something good to protect. And the New Testament uh, speaks about the heart in, in a very positive way. Here are a few verses I'm going to read out to you. Romans 5.5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 6:17 You have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. Couple more Hebrews 10:22 Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And lastly, 1 John 3:21 Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And so if we've been saved and we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there is a goodness to our heart that has to be protected. Amen? But even though the New Testament talks about our hearts as being cleansed and we've been saved, the heart is still the battleground as far as the Christian life is concerned. There are things that are fighting for your affections. There are things that are fighting for your heart's affections, for your devotions, for your attention every day that we live. For example, James 3.14 says this, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. James is saying this, that you can have bitter jealousy as a Christian in your heart. You can have selfish ambition. You can be double-minded. James is warning Christians about things that can be wrong, In our hearts, and so while our hearts, of course, are not perfect, no one of not not one of us is actually a finished article. There is a goodness in our hearts that Jesus is seeking to outwork. Amen. Jesus is seeking to do outwork a work in your heart to purify it, and so it needs protecting. It needs guarding. Now, in in England, in the in the 1600s, quite a long time ago, there was a, a Puritan who was called John Flavel. John Flavel, and he wrote about this verse in Proverbs four twenty-three. In fact, he wrote about a hundred pages uh, on this scripture uh, because that's what Puritans did back then—they sought purity and doctrine and and worship. This is in the sixteen hundreds, and he said this, which is quite interesting. He said, "Our hearts are like a musical instrument. They're like a musical instrument. In other words, you tune it, and of course, it's wonderful when you've got an instrument that's tuned." It's not great when 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 you play a guitar or a keyboard or whatever, and it's not tuned. But he said, you tune it right, and then, of course, you put it down, you put it on a stand, or maybe you put it up on a wall, and you leave it to stand for a while, and then after a few days, it goes out of tune. Or you tune it, and then something bumps into it, or someone bumps into it, and it goes out of tune again. He said, our hearts are like that. Hearts are like that. They can be right with God and then something uh, disrupts them or we can neglect them and our hearts can go astray. So what does it mean to keep your heart? What is Proverbs saying? It's paying attention to what's going on in the deepest core of what is inside of you. But then this proverb addresses and it goes further and says, why should you keep your heart? Because from it flow the springs of life for from it are the outflowings or the outgoings of life and this picture uh, this picture is painting here is that the heart is like a stream of water it's a stream of water that's continually flowing out to touch and impact people around you people that you come into contact with all the time and this is probably what jesus was thinking when he talked about our hearts he said in luke 6:45 luke chapter 6 verse 45 the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good And the evil person out of his evil treasure uh, produces evil. And here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Your life is flowing out of your mouth to impact others. For example, maybe someone cuts you up in traffic. Of course, that's never happened to you before here in London. Someone cuts you you off in, in traffic and you open your mouth to either bless or to curse. Of course, uh, everybody's probably had one of those moments when you're in the traffic lights and the person in front of you doesn't move forward when it goes green. And then eventually it turns red. And then, of course, you're just thinking so much wonderful feelings about the person in front of of you. And uh, you start beeping your horn and start uh, uttering all kinds of different things to yourself. And then you figure that uh, the person is actually a congregational member of KT. (laughs) Of course, that's never happened to me before. no. (laughs) No, it has. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that while the Bible tells us to guard our hearts above everything else, every time you encounter a new situation, out of your heart come the outgoings of your life. And what is in your heart is constantly flowing like a spring, like a spring to affect other people. And so, you see, what it's saying is the quality of your spiritual inward life is impacting people around you. Wherever you are, in the family or at home or in your workplace, wherever you are, what's going on in here is impacting people around you all the time. Many of you will have responsibilities. Probably every one of us has a responsibility. Some of you have responsibilities in in church life. Uh, Some of you are involved, of course, in cell ministry. You're part of a cell or you're leading a cell or maybe you're involved in some Bible studies or you teach or you're working with children or youth or maybe some of you are stewards here at KT. Uh, Maybe some of you are leading something in your local area where you live. And and of course, many of you, of course, work, have responsibilities of work. But in all of your responsibilities that you have, you may have everything together externally. You may have everything together uh, intellectually. Your interpretation of the Bible uh, might be great, and you might have very sound doctrine. But if your heart is full of self and pride... That's also what you will communicate to others. And it's like a virus. It will flow out and touch other people. That's why there's that saying that says you can be correct in creed but wrong in heart and spirit. For example, if your heart is full of uh, anger and bitterness, it will flow out and of course it will infect others around you. But if your heart is full of love for Jesus and your heart is full of faith in him, then love for Jesus and faith in him is what you will communicate to others. It's what you will communicate. It will flow from your heart, and it will, of course, refresh everybody else who hears it. And so God, of course, is concerned about our heart. We often get taken up in the the busyness of life and the the next day, the next opportunity, uh, the next uh, promotion or the next task. It's external things. But God is far more interested and concerned about what's going in your heart than you realize. He is constantly looking at the state and condition of your heart. Now I want to um, turn our attention to a famous portion of scripture, again, found in Matthew chapter five. Come with me there. Matthew chapter five, right at the beginning there, and it's Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five to seven, and this is known as Jesus' most famous sermon. Jesus' teaching was always pointed towards the heart. It's really the center of his teaching. And in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about the heart. Christianity addresses this important question. What's the state and the condition of your heart? And see, this was the trouble with the the so-called religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were called the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were always interested in what was going on on the outside, And so they were concerned about the the externals of religion, the outward performance, this religious performance, but they ignored the inward parts. And Jesus taught us that it's not enough just, of course, to to clean up our act on the outside. Jesus said on one occasion, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, uh, hypocrites. He never, you know, kind of held back his punches. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of extortion or opacity. You blind Pharisee. First cleanse the inside of the cup and of the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And so in Matthew chapter 5, we are introduced to these powerful beatitudes, these eight beatitudes. And they address what, of course, is going on in my private life, what is going on in my, my public life. And so Jesus is saying, you are now citizens of this kingdom. You belong to my kingdom now. And Jesus now, of course, has become our king. And now he is examining, he is inspecting our hearts as our king. Our lives are being examined by him. And in the Beatitudes, we find out what really, what kind of person he's looking for. We find out what kind of heart God is actually looking for in these verses. It's been said that uh, the eight Beatitudes are like eight beautiful flowers in the garden of the heart that God wants to blossom. And so these define love and uh, godliness and spiritual maturity, important things. And these eight flowers need cultivating. Now, I'm not really much of a gardener myself. If you saw my backyard, you know that. But um, if you're a gardener here, you'll know if you've got flowers, uh, flowers need cultivating. They need looking after. And so this gives us the idea also that we need to resist the other things that grow in the garden. What are those? Weeds. No one likes weeds. In fact, I hate weeds. I I didn't like um, like them any more than a couple of weeks ago. When I had to do my garden, I had these weeds that were growing about three, four meters up in the air. I spent about half an hour trying to pull these things out with this saw. But weeds are very real, and of course, they grow in the garden. If our hearts are a garden, we must weed and feed them. We need to resist the weeds that grow in the heart which are temptation and anger and immorality and making false commitments and demanding personal rights. And the Sermon on the Mount addresses many of these different things, actually right after the Beatitudes. And in Matthew 5, 8, come with me there, verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a huge promise that God has given us as as believers. Now, notice what it says. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the intellectual, or blessed are the smart, or the knowledgeable, or those who have, have it all together, or those who just talk a good game. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Isn't that wonderful? Remember that the heart includes all that makes up my inner life, our inner life, and so our mind our emotions, our will. So yes, Jesus is referring to us being pure in our thinking, being pure in our emotions, being pure in our will and our actions. And Jesus, of course, is addressing the heart because he knows that the heart is always at the seat of all of our troubles. Man's troubles are at the center of his being. And, and so trying to improve you know, a man's intellect through education, even trying to improve the, the environment around him doesn't solve anything because the trouble is in the heart. And so in Jesus said in, in Mark 7 verse 21, let's take that down for your reference, he said, For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount goes on to explain what some of the troubles of the heart are. How does he do it? By using the Pharisees as an example. Jesus said in in, in Matthew chapter 6, come with me now there, just jump over one more chapter. Chapter 5 to chapter 6. Chapter 6 verse 1 says, Take heed that you do not do your righteousness before men, to be seen by them, else you have no reward with your Father in heaven. What's Jesus saying? Well, firstly, he's saying our lives are under the eye of God. We are always in his sight. God knows all of our hearts. So everything that we think, you know, do, imagine is under the eye of God. Nothing is hidden. God is watching us 24-7 all the time. And secondly, Jesus is saying that the Christian life is all about pleasing God. Amen? Jesus knows that man by nature, wants the praise of man more than he does want the praise of God. Jesus knows that man is more interested in the opinion of himself. So Jesus is saying we are either out to please ourselves or we are out to to please God. But our chief objective, our main goal for every one of us in our lives is to please God. And as long as we've got that right, we can't really go wrong. And so the question that Jesus is putting before us is, whose audience are we living before? And whose praise are we actually seeking? Whose applause are we seeking? And Jesus was saying that the trouble with the human heart and the trouble with the Pharisees of his day is that they seek to give this appearance of spirituality, of godliness and integrity, but their hearts were far from him. And so there was no integrity, of course, to everything that they were doing, all these external, external religious acts. The Pharisees were, were going out of their way to, to look spiritual, and they sought recognition and the applause of men. When it came, for example, uh, to giving, the Pharisees had got it all all wrong. They were going around blowing their own trumpet and, and you know, trying to draw attention to how much they were giving and p- proclaiming it and announcing, it, of course, to others. But people were saying, Wow. Look at what they're doing. Look at their devotion. Look at their passion for God. Look at how much he gives. Jesus used them as an example of how we equally can have those natural temptations to sound a trumpet and to draw attention to how devoted we are. Perhaps of how devoted we are, how passionate we are, maybe how anointed we are, how smart we are and diligent and generous we are. For example, today someone might be tempted to, to, to serve with more humility and generosity and diligence when someone is watching. Because maybe someone's more interested in impressing others than they are impressing the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, move along one more verse with me from verse 1 to verse 2. Jesus says, Don't sound a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory for men. Jesus says, this is the right way of giving. Just give in secret. Be natural about it. Give in secret and see how the Father will reward you from heaven. Amen? even says that he will reward you even in public. Even in the whole area of prayer. So we've looked at giving in the whole area of prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Who are those? The Pharisees. For they love to stand stand in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by men. Jesus said the the Pharisees, they stand in the synagogues and in the important places, these prominent positions, they love the titles, the badges, the, the positions in order to be seen by men. You know, to give the impression that they are really devout and that they can't wait to get to the temple to pray these wonderful long prayers that have got so many words to impress people, Jesus said don't be like them. they've received their reward in full. The praise of man is what they wanted, and that's what they got, but they didn't get God's attention. But you see, the, the danger behind this, what was really going on beneath the surface, ultimately was that they were more concerned with man's praise than they were their relationship with God. And so there was no integrity to what they were doing. Even when it came to fasting, Jesus says, again, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, the Pharisees. He said, for they disfigure their faces so they can be seen to fast. I mean, they were actually not washing their faces. How disgusting is that? Some went further to disfiguring their faces and putting ashes on their head. I mean, talk about going out of your way to be seen by people. And so what happened is they looked miserable and they looked unhappy, and everyone was saying, look, they're fasting. Wow, they are a spiritual person. Look at how much they're sacrificing. Look at their devotion. But Jesus condemns it, and he says to the Pharisees, you justify yourselves before men. You seek to give the appearance of spirituality, but God knows your hearts. And Jesus is saying all this, not because it just applied to, of course, them back then, but it exists today. These words that we're reading today are for us as New Testament believers, But just look at the world around us. The world that we live in. The world we live in places so much importance on appearance. People spend thousands and thousands of pounds to improve their appearance. The world values personality and education and, and physique and looks. And of course there's nothing wrong with those things. But the world prizes those things as more important than anything else. The world says you need these to get to the top. But thank God... God is not swayed by the world. God doesn't look at the things that man looks at. He looks much deeper. He looks at the heart of a man or woman. You remember the statement that that God spoke to the prophet Samuel. And he said that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the, the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. He's so consumed with what he sees with his eyes, but man looks so much deeper. He looks at the heart. What sort of quote, someone said, God, when God puts a, uh, measures us, he puts a, a tape measure around the heart. But what was going on back then, was, of course, is that, see, God, God saw King Saul. He saw that he was perhaps big in his own eyes, but then God saw this teenager, David, perhaps only 16 years of age, and God says, he has a pure, humble-like spirit, and he worships me. He worships me. And so God says, I found a man after my own heart. And so God says to Samuel, he says, I tell you what I'm going to do. The world votes Saul in, but I vote David in. So I'm going to move Saul out of the way now, and I'm going to put David in. Why? Because he's a man after my own heart. In other words, I can trust a man who is after my own heart. I mean, what an incredible statement that God made about David. Isn't that powerful? That he was a man after God's own heart, even at that young age. It makes you wonder what was David doing at the age of 13, 14, and 15 to get God to pronounce that statement over him? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God said that about us here at Kensington Temple that we were those who were after his own heart? David hadn't had any special titles, he hadn't done anything heroic yet. He hadn't got any special titles or badges, but yet God pronounces this statement over him. He's a man after my own heart. And all the the Bible seems to say that points to, to something of why God chose him. It's found in Psalm 78. You might want to use that as a reference. Psalm 78 says that David served the sheep of Israel with integrity of heart and skillful hands. Integrity of heart and skillful hands. That's why God chose him. But see, Jesus, when examining the pharisees coming back to matthew when he examined the pharisees he said they worship me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship away and they pray away but their hearts are far from me they do all of this religious activity but they've lost the heart of it all they dutifully do all these things to please the crowd but the heart's gone So Jesus' teaching, of course, was going for the heart. It shows that Jesus is not impressed with just religious performance, with heartless prayers and heartless worship. What moves the heart of God is when we have a heart after him. What moves him is when we have a heart that is burning for him. Underneath everything else that we are involved in, we have a heart for him. Maybe you're here today and, Somehow in the midst of all the, the busyness of, of your life and the things the world has, has offered you, you've lost the heart of it all. You've no, you're no longer motivated by the heart. Your relationship with God maybe has perhaps become so shallow and surface level, but God today is drawing you back to him and he's saying, give me back your heart. Give me back your heart. I see all the things that you're doing, but somehow you've got lost in all the busyness of your life and all the things that you've been chasing. Give me back your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart means without hypocrisy. Pureness of heart is singleness. If you look it up, it's about It's nothing hidden. It's uh, single-minded, it's, it's sincere, it's, uh, there's sincerity involved, there's single-eyed devotion. You see, the trouble with our hearts, is our, uh, with us, is our, uh, our divided heart. One part of me wants to know God and to worship him and to please him, but another part wants something else. But what Jesus is saying, a pure heart is not divided. This is why Proverbs says, guard your heart, don't pollute your heart. And if there are things in your life that pollute your heart, don't go there. Keep your heart with all diligence, Proverbs says. But then we are given this incredible promise by God. We've looked at the, what it means to be pure. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a promise. And that's a promise that applies to every one of us here in this room. Every believer. Every believer. And what this scripture means is that the pure in heart will have the capacity to know and to experience God and to see God in a way they've never experienced before. This is probably one of the greatest promises in the word of God, that they will see him. The ultimate, you know, thing about Christianity, experience of Christianity is to know God, is to see him and to experience him. And so you see that... Jesus is saying there is no substitute for purity if you really want to see God. Because what happens is it positions you to experience more of him, more of his presence, an opportunity to be awestruck by his glory, the opportunity to be close to God, not from a distance, but the opportunity to be brought near. King David, again, he understood this when he said in Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4, maybe go there with me quickly, Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4, says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. You see, we can see here what David means by a pure heart, by just looking at the scriptures that follow. A pure heart has nothing to do with falsehood. A pure heart is truthful, it's free from deceitfulness, of going two ways. You can see the idea of purity in in, in James chapter 4, verse 8. James chapter 4, verse 8, this is a scripture that a senior minister has been uh, encouraging uh, the body recently with. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it doesn't stop there, it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men, of a double mind and so how does my heart get cleansed James says draw near to God and he will draw near to you isn't that good news as for every one of us draw near to him and he's going to draw near to you because you see if he doesn't my heart remains filthy my heart remains dirty our hearts need to be washed They need to be cleansed and purified Jesus didn't necessarily come into this world simply because we have bad habits that need to be broken. Jesus came into this world because our hearts are impure. Our hearts need cleansing. They need purifying. They need to be ongoing, cleansed and purified, cleaned out. Jesus sees our hearts today. There are a number of songs that we sometimes sing here at KT, but there was one classic song that, um, that we sometimes sing, we pull out occasionally. It's called Refiner's Fire. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold as precious silver. Remember that one? I love that song because it's a song about how God wants to come as the refiner's fire and he wants to purify his church. God wants to cleanse his church. He wants to clean his church out. Because he knows that a, a church that is useful, that can be used, is a cleaned out church. Cleaning out all of the weeds, but our hearts being made ready for what he wants to do. God can do something with a heart that is pure. It positions us, it postures us uh, for, for something new. God can use a church that is that is passionate for purity. Only He, of course, can make us pure and holy. But this song Refiner's Fire, it, it, the words talking about it purify our hearts. Let me be as gold. You know, if you're an expert in gold, what they do usually to, to try and refine it and to purify it is, of course, they melt the gold. And all of the impurities, they come to the surface. And of course, they sheen it off and they keep on going until they've got this pure gold. It's purifying us. It's making us holy. The truth is, you and I know that we live in a world that is full of impurity. Full of impurities, things that are fighting for your affections. Things right now that are fighting for your devotions and your attention. There are things that are fighting for your heart right now. Things like money, maybe materialism, possessions, entertainment. All these things are fighting for, for the heart of the church. But the proverb and this beatitude encourage us to determine in our hearts to go after God. Keep a guard over your heart from contamination. Keeping healthy relationships, not entertaining gossip and slander behind someone's back. Being someone who is determined, I will speak blessing and not cursing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. We have this amazing scripture that really solidifies everything that we've been looking at today. It says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel that's what God has done for us he has entrusted us with this gospel message it says so we speak not to please man there it is again not to please man but to please God who does what who tests our hearts the the Apostle Paul was going from city to city he was traveling everywhere and he'd be persecuted He'd be beaten with rods. He'd be thrown in jail. He would be whipped. He would be uh, stoned almost to death. Why? Because he was speaking God's word and it was unpopular. But I think when I think, read this verse, I think, you know, what was going on here? I think at the end of the day, Paul was saying this to God. He was saying, Father, was my heart true to you? Despite all the stuff that I'm going through to proclaim your name, was my heart true to you? This verse says, God is the one who tests our hearts. He is the one who examines our heart. You know, in the natural, people go to see a doctor, maybe sometimes to to go get an annual checkup, and the doctor will do a number of tests to see how healthy your heart is and uh, take your blood pressure and do all these kind of different things. And of course, it's good to have a healthy heart. Nobody wants a bad one. Make sure this one is nice and strong, ticking over for as long as possible. And the doctor will advise perhaps maybe how you can strengthen your heart and maybe give you, uh, uh, you know, these exercising and tell you how to to have a healthy diet. Am I correct? Amen. Okay, so we've got some doctors here on the right here. And so he will take us through and he'll help advise us of how to have a healthy heart. It's the same in the spiritual. That which is true in the now, is the same in the spiritual. God is continually examining in our hearts, looking at our hearts, looking at how we can strengthen our hearts. Looking at how we speak, what comes from our heart? Do we speak blessing or cursing? How do we speak of one another? What kind of language perhaps do, do we use? Maybe we need to carefully today consider what is causing problems in our heart. What are the things that are polluting my heart? Perhaps we could go even further than that. We could ask ourselves, what kind of company are you keeping? thinking about this earlier the scripture says that bad company corrupts good character it can have a negative effect on you and so uh, a bad company can rub off on you and it corrupts your integrity and your character and it messes up your heart but God is saying to us today he wants us to have healthy hearts weeding out the bad stuff and feeding it with the good stuff. What's the good stuff? It's the Word of God. How can, I, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. Feeding your heart with the Word of God. It's impossible to live a life of integrity without studying and meditating and applying the Scriptures. The last verse today is 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support To those whose heart is blameless toward him. His eyes are scanning the earth. Even right now, the Holy Spirit is moving over the earth, looking for a clean place to land his feet. God is looking over London, God is looking over Kensington Temple, and He's saying, Whose hearts are after me, whose heart is blameless, whose heart is pure? Because that's a place where I want to reside. That's the place of my habitation. Where I see hearts that are really after me. They're not after all the other stuff. The things that appear great, I'm after the heart. And when I can get a hold of the heart, when I can get a hold of a heart of a person, the heart of the church, that's when I can do things with them. If we can stand together in a moment, we're going to sing this song, Refiner's Fire, and just... Sing it from the depths of our heart and ask God to do a work within us. The eyes of the Lord are looking over the face of this body, looking for hearts that are toward Him. The Bible says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And we're going to, just in the next few moments, we're going to ascend. Amen. We're going to ascend up the mountain of the Lord. And we're going to bring our heart before God. And we're say, God, we want you to cleanse me. I want you to purify me. Perhaps those on captions, maybe you could put this song, Purify My Heart, Refine as Fire. Let's all sing it together. Purify my heart. Let me be as well. and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as God. pure. Purify, refine, and my desire, Lord. My heart's one desire: to be holy. It is to be. Holy set apart for You, Lord, I choose to be. Yeah, and holy set apart for You, my Master, ready to do Your will. Let's sing that together. Purify my heart, purify, all together, let's sing to the Lord this Let me be as gold and precious silver, purify my heart, let me be as gold, let me be as gold, pure gold, pure gold, refined and refine us Jesus my heart's one desire is to be holy set upon for you Lord I choose I choose to be are Father this afternoon here's our heart pray that you would take it as it is pray mold us, fashion us to be more like you to be made holy perfect those things in us Lord that are weak those areas where we are there are cracks we pray Lord that you would move in that we would be your habitation we would be your dwelling place that you would live your life through us Thank you, Lord, for what you're already doing. As we go from here, Lord, I pray that you would draw so much closer. As we seek to draw near to you, would you draw so much nearer? Lord, we pray for new experiences, fresh visitation, fresh revelation, Lord, that you would unfold to our hearts. Pray you would take us deeper. And in your name we pray this. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God. Praise God.